These are the data lectionary comments for January the 12th. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34, where God uh, castigates the leaders of Israel and swears to take up the care and leadership of Israel himself. And then Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 19, we learn uh, true what true Christian righteousness, where it comes from. All right, Ezekiel 34. It's hard not to see Jesus in these words because the Lord is talking about his people as though they are sheep and himself as though he has is their shepherd and that he is going to care for them. The prophecy, however, begins with a prophesy against the shepherds, against those in Israel who appoint who were appointed to be the leaders of Israel. So he's talking to the kings, the rulers, the priests, the Levites, those who are in positions of authority to lead the people, and he prophesies against the shepherds of Israel. Why? Because they've been feeding themselves, uh, and rather than taking care of the flock. Verse 3 says, you eat the fat. On the other hand, verse 4, uh, the weak, the sick, the injured, uh, the, uh, the, the strayed, the lost, uh, these you have ignored. They were scattered, verse 5 says, because you uh, were not their shepherd. So God is, of course, furious at the failure of his people, particularly of those part of his covenant people that just failed to, to, to shepherd and to care for God's flock. Verse 10 says, Behold, I, the Lord, am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. They were failed watchmen, then they did not warn the people, and they will be guilty of the things, that the, the sufferings that the sheep have come to. Uh, I will require the sheep at their hand, and I put a stop to their feeding the sheep. So in other words, he's going to end their shepherding. God is going to end this. He's not going to continue it. Then he says in verse 11, I, I myself will search my, for my sheep and seek them out. I, I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them into their own land, verse 13 says. I will feed them. Look at verse 16. Isn't this beautiful? And it's just like what Jesus would say. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You know, when Jesus comes and he says, I am the good shepherd, it's a passage, really, it's this passage, probably more than any other, but there are other passages like it that Jesus is referring to. And nobody could hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, and not and not hear this ringing rebuke of the Lord against the leaders of his people. Look again in verse 20. Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Okay, I'm going to judge between those who have been the ones who were set to rule and, and were supposed to be caretakers. And they're fat now because they fed themselves. And then they're the ones that have been their victims uh, because they have been starved. Look at verse 23. I will set up over them. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. Now he doesn't mean David himself. Of course, he's referring to 
the king that shall come from the house of David, the perfect king. Now note that Ezekiel is preaching to the exiles and, and there is no king in power and Jerusalem is destroyed. So th this, you know, he's really speaking not just of whatever the present king is because there is no present king in power, but he is looking to the future to time, as Isaiah said, when a child will be born and a son will be given and the government will be on his shoulders. This is the son of David. So I'm going to set one shepherd over them and he will be from the house of David and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord. Now, isn't that a wonderful description of the New Testament kingdom of God? The Lord is our God. And our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, is prince among us. And he reigns over the, the world for the sake of the church and cares for the sheep. <clears throat> Jesus' whole ministry, when he talks about how he had compassion on the people as they came to him, struggling with various illnesses and various problems. And he, he looked at them and he had compassion on them, the scripture says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus comes to be the good shepherd. And notice the interesting blend where uh, it, it's, it, where is the line between God saying, I myself will shepherd them and the son of David, uh, who is prince among us, who has set up a shepherd over them. So where is the line between God and and the son of David, the shepherd? This is why we go back to Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, um, uh, you know, this this blending, this this uh, uh, this, this confusion. It, it, it becomes it's not confusing once we get to the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it is not always clear whether we're talking about the King that God will send or God Himself. And then, of course, when we get to the New Testament, we find out that the king that God will send is God himself. So then it all is resolved. But at this time, the text just kind of goes back and forth. And you don't know whether it's the Lord himself that's going to be the shepherd or whether it's going to be the, 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 the one from the line of David who will be prince among the people, who will be sort of acting as his agent. And the answer is, well, both are true. God is going to shepherd his people and he's going to do it in the person of this prince from the house of David, Jesus of Nazareth. So uh, this uh, wonderful passage from, from Ezekiel that points us forward to the New Testament where Jesus will be the good shepherd uh, and will begin shepherding his people. All right, now we're getting to Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And Paul has very carefully laid the foundations as he has evaluated human beings from the point of view of their own intrinsic moral worth. He has evaluated uh, pagan unbelievers, uh, and although he agrees that a pagan unbeliever, by virtue of being a human being, uh, is capable of, to some extent, their consciences following the law of God, if we evaluate uh, uh, pagan unbelievers, we see that their moral worth is uh, demonstrates not that they are righteous people, but that they are unrighteous people. Then he, he lays out Jews themselves who have the word of God and who understand 
much more clearly what it means to be a righteous person and who have the instructions on how to live like a righteous person. But the problem is, <clears throat> Paul lays out, that they are in the end also corrupt. They also are not righteous people. And that's why Paul, uh, in yesterday's um, uh, devotion, simply lays out that all people are sinful, and he does the same today. In verse 19, he says, we know that whatever the law says, whatever the Torah says, it says to those who are under the Torah. So the, to, to Jews, the law of Moses speaks to them um, so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, Jews are also under the condemnation of God. We know the Gentiles are. So that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So the, the whole point of everything up to verse 20 in chapter 3 of Romans is to make that point. No human being will be justified. Justified means to be declared righteous by God. That's what it means. And it simply says that there is no human being that by nature is righteous. And so if we're talking about righteousness and people being and doing what they're supposed to be, there aren't any. Even those who have the oracles of God, they still fall short. Now, beginning at verse 21, Paul begins talking about a, uh, another mode of righteousness, another way of being declared by God to be righteous, another way of, of coming to God, a way other than simply being morally worthy. It says, but now, but now, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, apart from the law of Moses, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So Moses and the prophets speak about this righteousness, but in fact, uh, this is a righteousness which was not bestowed through Moses, but actually exists apart from that. What is this righteousness? Verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So there is a righteousness that is gained by faith rather than a righteousness which is gained by obtaining moral worthiness. It says, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in other words, since all have sinned, those who have received the Torah, the law of Moses and those who have not, this other kind of righteousness is not a matter of living up to something or becoming worthy of something but it's a matter of receiving by faith something that God wishes to give. Verse 24, people fall short of the glory of God, all of them, they fall short of the righteousness, the, 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 the purity that a human being ought to have and are justified by his grace as a gift. By his grace means that this is something that God bestows on us because of the way God is rather than bestowing upon us because of something we've earned. God is the way he is, and therefore he grants this gift to us, rather than God is a God who finds people who are worthy of it and gives those worthy people a gift. We are justified by his grace because of the way God is, as a gift. It is something he gives through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It comes through what Christ did. So, the first thing that we have to recognize is if Christ had not done what he did, there would be no righteousness by faith. So we, we must not speak about faith being just kind of some kind of generic belief in God. 
or some desire to do good or some desire or some belief in something greater than ourselves. What we're talking about is the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, specifically through his death. It says, uh, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice that takes away sins. That's what a propitiation is. It is the sacrifice of Christ. In other words, the propitiation, the sacrifice which came through his death, by his blood. That's what that means. By his blood to be received by faith. So, in other words, the righteousness which God wishes us to have is not something that we develop and build on our own, but it is something that because of Christ's death, it is offered to us and we receive it by faith. Now, one way that people oftentimes completely misunderstand righteousness as it is taught in the scripture is that they believe that righteousness is a matter of moral purity and goodness that a human being exercises by following God's word and following his God's commandments. Now, this makes perfect sense because, of course, God does command us to do all these things. What people don't recognize is that follow them as you might, you still are not a righteous person because you don't follow them properly. And the reason you don't follow them properly is because you just, this is not a natural thing to you. You were not naturally a righteous person. So the first thing that uh, a, a person who wants to be a Christian must understand is that true righteousness does not come to a human being simply by being a morally good and worthy person. It's not that being a morally good and worthy person would not be righteous. It's that we are not morally good and worthy people, so we need to understand that. The second mistake that people who want to be Christians but don't really understand what's going on is that what they do is they, they read here, they see it, it comes by faith, and they say, well, all you have to do is believe, and it's, it's through faith that a person is declared righteous by God. And then what they imagine is that God really is redefining what it means to be a morally good person. It used to mean, or we might think, that being a morally good person is keeping the Ten Commandments and loving our neighbor and this sort of thing. But now God tells us that really all he wants from us is faith. All he wants for us to do is to believe in him and to trust him and to believe that he's out there. And if we do that, then we will show ourselves truly to be morally righteous people because a morally good person will have faith in God. And so really what it's saying is, it's not Ten Commandments, it's just one commandment, and the one commandment is that we should believe in God. And if we believe in God, then he will count us righteous. But that's not what this says. This says that we receive uh, uh, this gift by faith, the, re the gift that comes through the redemption of Jesus, who is a propitiation, faith by, in his blood, in his death. So it is not just believing in God. What it is, it's believing that God, through Christ, has worked a way to free us from our sins and to become righteous. Forget for the time being how this works, only to understand that if Jesus had not died for our sins, there would be nothing to believe in. You can believe in God all you want, but there's nowhere where the scripture says simply believing in God is all he wants. There would be no trusting in God for salvation because there would be no promise of salvation if God had not actually provided for salvation. We are talking here about a promise of God that finds its fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Believing and trusting in that promise, God 
gives to us what the promise is. And the promise is the forgiveness of sins and uh, adoption by God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So actual righteousness is something that we get when we come to Christ. And coming to Christ we get because he died for us. This is not just a another way of looking at being good, it's having faith. It's understanding it's another way of God giving to us what we cannot get for ourselves. He gives us righteousness and goodness and worthiness to be in his presence and in his kingdom when we come to Christ and trust that he has died for us to be our savior. It has nothing to do with your moral goodness. Your moral goodness is what has to be overcome. It's not the way you come to God. It's what God has to overcome in order to bring you to him. So that real salvation is something that comes not by us being good people, but by receiving from God what he has done for us. That's what Paul means by by faith. Verse 28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. God declares you righteous because he gives to you by grace the, the benefits of what Jesus has done rather than you becoming a good person. And that is what uh, uh, true righteousness is all about. God justifies the circumcised, those who have the law. This is verse uh, 30. Those who have the law, he justifies them by faith, not by keeping the law, but by faith. And the uncircumcised who do not have the law of God also by faith, by trusting in the Lord Jesus. Okay, well, it's no surprise that Romans chapter 3 would go a little long, and this one did. But we are done uh, for this devotion, and we'll pick up this argument uh, in tomorrow's devotion.